0: This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. We are being transitioned from an analog world to a digital world from a world of objective truth and the scientific method to a hyper real world of subjective half truths and fantasy. And along with this, we are being falsely led by propaganda and constant deceptive games to lead those with virtue and conservative values into waiting traps made by those that would seek to lure conservatives by what attracts them conservative sounding strong men. Strongmen dictators that promise to eliminate all of the liberal ills of the past, to eliminate all of the Marxists and communists that are seeking to harm their families. And the dictators will eliminate those filthy commies with their strong right hand. Strongman dictators like this sound almost too good to be true, and in many cases, they are. If you listen to just about anyone on the neoconservative side of politics, or from the ecumenical integralists at NatCon or those that are identified with Joram Hazoni, you will hear a constant refrain that there is one very, very conservative leader that we all must emulate. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban. But I need us to examine this here on this episode of Public Occurrences to ask the question, is Viktor Orban really the conservative stalwart that so many are claiming is the answer to woke liberalism? Well, let's take a pause for just a moment. And before I go into the gigantic Potemkin village scenarios that are being set up around the world, let me briefly remind you of something that I have been speaking about over the past several years, that both myself and my family were brought into the middle of this about 14 years ago. Yes, and that was before it was officially announced. A few years before it was officially announced to everyone. And that something is the One Belt, One Road Initiative of China. Back in 2010, it was referred to as the Silk Road Project, and as well the Maritime Silk Road, or the Spice Route Project to cover the nations that would be enticed to take part of the scheme that surrounded the Indian Ocean, the One Belt, One Road Initiative. And it is basically a resetting of what was the Marshall Plan that was put into place by the United States and its allies after World War II, where the United States bore the financial burden of rebuilding war-torn Europe and Japan. But the United States was given a huge advantage at the Bretton Woods meetings at the end of World War II, that the U.S. currency, the dollar, would become the reserve currency of the world as the U.S. rebuilt and populated the world with... Air Force bases, naval bases, capitalism, and other strongholds for a post-World War II world. And the United States did exactly that. It rebuilt the world and spread prosperity through free market principles across the world. Now, interestingly enough, that same United States government, which the Office of Strategic Sciences the precursor to the Central Intelligence Agency, took a turn in favor of Mao Zedong and the Chinese communists over Chiang Kai-shek's forces in Western China during the end of World War II. And this would, in turn, attempt to help the development of China along the way over the next several decades as China's relationship with the Soviet Union grew rather frosty. Maybe you didn't know that. Well, it was frosty to say the least. But this worldwide development and taking part in the United States version of free market capitalism led the U.S. to dominate across the world, financially and militarily, as nearly every other nation in Europe or Asia suffered damage from World War II. But while the U.S. dollar and the U.S. economic system was used to rebuild the world and to assist the world in coming up to the technological and economic standards of the West – it wasn't meant to last. Let's just say that what was happening with Bretton Woods and Bretton Woods II basically came with a Detroit mentality that eventually it was meant to be replaced. But it was meant to build the systems that only capitalism and free market economies could. But it was also meant to prepare the world for something else decades down the road. And that something else is the dominance of the Communist Chinese Party and the technocratic system that has been developed in China. That would be the system necessitated for the entire world. A system that a constitutional republic, with all of those pesky and inalienable rights and all, would reject as being unlawful. It could never be built here. It was an invasion to our privacy. We would reject that. At least until the Patriot Act, that is. And then people wanted safety more than liberty. But China, with U.S. help, was allowed to develop. China became the factory for the world. China produced the majority of the world's stuff. From electronics, to medical equipment, to pharmaceuticals, and all sorts of everything. It became the world leader in production. And the United States outsourced the majority of its manufacturing to China. Basically, China became the world's new factory with Marxist and fascistic characteristics. And then, around 2008, it was China's time to rise. And China's system is not a system that favors liberty and freedom. China's system is autocratic and authoritarian at its core. And with its own stab-in-the-back theory being invented to create the need to dominate their past oppressors, And with absolute global dominance being the main goal. With a desire to control and usurp the Arab nations for cheap oil. With a desire to control their ally Russia for both cheap oil and gas. But with China wanting to dominate the new oil of the 21st century. What is that new oil? Digital data. So, China had ambitions. And not only this, but G's vision included creating a vast network of railways, energy pipelines, highways, and streamlined border crossings, both westward, through the mountainous former Soviet republics, and southward, to Pakistan, India, and the rest of Southeast Asia. Such a network would expand the international use of Chinese currency, and eventually would become the threat of the BRICS currency. With all of their Belt and Road Initiative nations going along, that is now threatening to dominate the world and end U.S. dollar supremacy. In addition to physical infrastructure, China has funded hundreds of special economic zones or industrial areas designed to create jobs and encourage countries to embrace its tech offerings, such as the 5G network, soon to be 6G by the way, powered by telecommunications giant Huawei. And if you are a Belt and Road Initiative partner – your data will end up going in and through China in the Huawei digital communications network. So, more or less, you are agreeing to be digitally colonized by the Chinese Communist Party. In exchange for this, the nations that would sell their data, their economy, and their souls to the Chinese government, these partner nations of China will receive new airports, new water systems, new roads, new infrastructure, huge loans for national projects military help, access to raw materials, cheap smartphone technology, 5G, smart cities who are plugged into the Internet of Things. and The Chinese government says, don't worry about paying us back right away. And then debt diplomacy kicks in. Now, if you are someone with common sense... If you are someone who believes that nations should support the liberty and freedom of their citizens, if you are an elected representative of a supposed democratic republic, you would probably want to stay away from a communo-fascist, controlling, privacy-less, autocratic, cognitive liberty-stealing, authoritarian regime. Literally one of the most evil regimes in the history of mankind that has the potential to upend not just the world economy, but also humanity itself. And when China went shopping for nations that might be dumb enough to join in their globalist authoritarian scheme, well, the first nation to get in line, the first nation to literally get on their knees and capitulate to the Chinese Communist Party and embrace the one belt, one road partnership where you would give away your nation's information, your citizens' personal data, your nation's infrastructure, your nation's economic future, all given to the hands of the communo-fascist brutal regime of China. The first in line to partner with the technocratic overlords of China was Viktor Orban and Hungary. Now you might be saying, hold on, Mike. (laughs) I thought Viktor Orban was the champion for liberty, freedom, and conservatism. I mean, that's what Yuram Hazoni and the NatCon guys were all saying, I mean, wasn't CPAC just in Hungary? Well, yeah. They were saying those things about Viktor Orban, who acts very conservative, who rules with strict laws, who enforces the border. Kind of like China. Because Viktor Orban is a Chinese puppet. Now, you might be saying, but Mike, didn't Viktor Orban take a strong stand against George Soros? Well, of course he did, after George Soros fell out of favor with China and got into a conflict with them. Because I don't know if you know this or not. I mean, if you've listened to public occurrences, both foreign and domestic, you have heard me explain that there is a massive war going on between Soros and the CCP. They declared him public enemy number one. They called him an economic terrorist, which that's true. But I wouldn't mind seeing China take a fall. I'm not going to be rooting for George Soros. But at the same time, you got to understand there are no good guys here. So Hungary has basically become a satellite colony, a, a captured colony, if you will, of China in Eastern Europe. Now, there was an article in the American Enterprise Institute that stated the following. And it states, quote, The Hungarian government's firm embrace of Beijing dates back to 2010, when the right-wing populist Fidesz Party returned to power after two terms in the opposition. Orban became prime minister as a result of these elections. He praised the Chinese Communist Party regime in 2011 because it, quote, and this is from Orban, was not dominated by that Western liberal idea that fiddling with the books is the way to get the best economic indicators. There, work is the foundation, end quote. That is nonsense. There is no nation on Earth where fiddling with the books is done more than in China with Chinese-controlled corporations and a manipulated currency. I digress. Back to the AEI article. Quote, before concerns over Chinese influence were on anybody's radar in Washington or Brussels... Hungary hosted a series of high-profile summits with China, struck cooperation agreements and attracted Chinese investment. In June 2011, Huawei announced it would establish its European logistics center in Hungary. Chinese companies also took control of Borsodchem. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Borsodchem, a major Bortso Chem, I guess, a major Hungarian chemicals manufacturer, in a $1.66 billion deal. In 2015, Hungary led the PAC as the first European country to sign a memorandum of understanding on China's Belt and Road Initiative. Later, Orban called Hungary a pillar of the Belt and Road Initiative. Later, the article states, but China also caused Hungary to stand up to the Trump administration. The government refused to join the initiative of then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo aimed at dissuading Central and Eastern Europe from using Huawei to build their 5G networks, something that Orban stated was in Hungary's economic and strategic interest. As well, Viktor Orban and Hungary have repeatedly blocked efforts by the EU to criticize China, over the abuses in hong kong so while victor orban blocks efforts of rightful criticism of china over their abuses in hong kong conservatives have no idea of how to respond to orban so they just go quiet and continue to pretend that everything with orban is just fine and so you invite victor orban to speak at your conservative conferences You invite Orban's son to speak at your conservative conferences. You hold your conservative conference in Budapest, Hungary, and invite Orban to participate. And in doing so, basically invite the strongest ally of China in the world to your conference. Heck, if you have a conference in Budapest, you'd better believe that China heard your every word, knew your every movement, and knew every keystroke that you typed on your laptop, because Hungary is a digital and economic Potemkin village of China. It is positioned as the yin to the progressive EU's yang. But the thing is, the EU is very illiberal as well. Liberalism, in the truest sense of the word, is under attack in Europe. You have the EU's Soros and the World Economic Forum's new puritanical wokish religion being spread across Europe without any toleration or dissent. And of course, you have the surveillance state being instituted all over Europe and the UK, with London being the most surveilled city in the Western Hemisphere, with people literally being arrested for questioning for social media posts that they've placed up with 15-minute cities being instituted that will begin to limit the freedom of movement before too long, where social credit and central bank digital currencies are about to be unleashed on European citizens. I mean, more or less, the European Union and the UK are kind of becoming exactly like China. So what's going on here? Well, first of all, there are no good guys in this dialectical struggle. Both sides are at their very core evil. And when I say evil, I mean it in the strongest sense of the word. Secondly, diplomatically, Orban and Hungary are positioned to be the alternative to the world economic forum in NATO and Europe. So when a prime minister of Austria, let's say, for example gets an angry phone call from Klaus Schwab or from Christine Lagarde um, saying that you aren't doing all you can to take your fair share of Middle Eastern or African immigrants. And of course, you know that unvetted, disgruntled migrants will be used to destabilize your nation in the coming months. And you, as the prime minister of Austria, really don't want to face the fate as the Netherlands prime minister, Mark Root, Just faced where the citizens kicked him out on his butt. Well, maybe a talk with Orban and his Chinese overlords might start to sound attractive to you. And maybe some money that the IMF has refused to send you because of your stance might soon be arriving from China instead. And maybe China throws in that maybe they can cut a backdoor deal with Russia to send you some cheap gas. Well, all of a sudden, being a puppet a marionette, an actor for Chinese grand stage play of world domination, doesn't sound so bad anymore. And maybe you won't have to accept another visit from Alex Soros again next month. So you can see how this happens. And once it starts, it is nearly impossible to shut off the valve. Because once China's strings are attached to your nation's economy, to your nation's infrastructure, to your nation's communications, and you get hooked on the cheap and easy money, you have a hard time getting off China's totalitarian train. An article that was published in the Washington Times in May of 2023 said the following about Orban and his ever-tightening relationship with China. Quote, He might be a darling of the conservative political action conference, but Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban's true darling Is communist China. Hungarian Foreign Minister Peter Sejarto has been keen to remind us of that truth during his visit to China this week. Offering Hungary support for the Huawei telecommunications firm slash Chinese Signal Intelligence Service, Sejarto stated that, quote, Huawei has a decisive role to play in Hungary's digitization, end quote. Now, folks, imagine someone who is conservative. Really saying that, that China's Huawei has a decisive role to play in, let's say, the digitization of the United States, that would be an insane national security issue. The article continues, quote, The foreign minister also played to Beijing's trope that legitimate concerns over Huawei's products are simply the result of racism. As he put it, Quote, no one should be excluded from the competition based on their country of origin. So, again, I have to comment. Hungary's foreign minister used the racism card to fend off criticism of turning over the digital data and information of their citizens to the Chinese Communist Party. Folks, not even the Biden administration would be this brassy. So, the article continues. Quote, this will surely be welcome news to Hungary's NATO allies, who are somehow supposed to communicate securely with their Hungarian counterparts. I mean, folks, can you see the problem here? None of Hungary's communication infrastructure is secure from the prying eyes and ears of the Chinese Communist Party. I do apologize. Let me get back to the article. Sajarto. So was just getting started, explicitly distancing Hungary from the European Union's rather tentative effort to de-risk its dealings with China in vulnerable sectors such as the tech field. Sajarto explained that, quote, we don't see China as a risk, but, but a country with which cooperation offers us immense opportunities, end quote. Read between the lines. Immense opportunities... Of communist gold. As the South China Morning Post notes, quote, Hungary received 7.6 billion in belt and road investment last year, more than any other country, despite a multi-year downward trend in Chinese investment in Europe. The foreign minister secured an additional 3 billion of Chinese investment during his trip. Hungary is also playing a central role at an economic exposition in China this week. As Beijing's Global Times propaganda newspaper noted on Tuesday, Hungary is the only guest of honor country. It's lucrative for Orban to be Xi Jinping's European carpet. In return for obstructing EU security efforts focused on China, Orban gets showered with the Chinese leader's corrupted beneficence. Hungary, of course, has every right to pursue whatever foreign policy it wishes. The trouble here, at least from the perspective of the United States, is that Hungary is at least nominally a U.S. ally. But by essentially aligning himself with Xi and enabling China's security apparatus via firms such as Huawei, Orban is shredding Hungary's alliance with the United States. This is no peripheral concern. The U.S. military expects to be engaged in a war with China over Taiwan before this decade is out. Thousands of Americans are likely to die in any such war. That Orban is so energetically enabling the greatest adversary of his American ally thus tells us something. Victor Orban is no friend of the United States." Quote. And I would like to add, "...Victor Orban is no friend of liberty and freedom." Viktor Orban has sold out Hungary to the largest totalitarian threat to mankind that the world has ever known. Viktor Orban has guaranteed that Hungarians will live in an algoocracy, in digital slavery in the future. Almost like a little Chinese Communist Party-controlled autonomous zone carved out in the heart of Europe. So the next time you hear a conservative... Or a Christian nationalist, or someone from NatCon going on and on about how we need to be like Viktor Orban in Hungary, just ask this in return. So you want us to be controlled by the Chinese Communist Party and turn over the future of our children to the greatest force for evil that the world has ever known? Now, and this doesn't mean that partnering with the World Economic Forum, or the Fourth Reich at NATO, or the Malthusian royals is any better. You should reject all of these partnerships. And we should embrace the words of our founding fathers who said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let us pursue that aim. Let us pursue that path that has been set before us, because there can be no compromise in this age of cowardness and disruption, because we must win. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, Both Foreign and Domestic. Thank you.